That ain't bad singing for a Wednesday night. That ain't bad at all. All right, we're going to be in Judges 10 tonight. Y'all probably could have guessed that, though. Judges 10. We're going we're gonna to attempt to get through the whole chapter. 17 verses. We're going we're gonna to do it, Lord willing. We're going to make it through. Judges chapter 10. We finished up Gideon. We finished up Abimelech, the evil son of Gideon. Uh, and now we're moving on to the next couple of judges who we don't really know much about, but at least we'll hit on them for just a second. Judges 10. While everybody's turning, it's, it's time for a test. Does anybody remember the name of the two cities that Jesus went to in the pa- excuse me in the passage that we read Sunday morning at church from Mark chapter 7? Does anybody remember the name of the two cities that Jesus traveled to? Tyre and Sidon, that's right. Since we got our big map, I was going to share all. This is where Tyre and Sidon would be, right here in this area, in the area of Phoenicia. You remember the Syro-Phoenician woman? This is Phoenicia up here, and this is where Tyre and Sidon would be, kind of at the northern part of Israel. So that'll give you a little visual aid. Good job. I heard a lot of y'all saying it, so that's good. I'm glad y'all are paying attention. All right, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father God, we come to you tonight and we thank you for these words and I pray that we'll learn something from them. And just hide me behind the cross as I preach and teach and uh, just let the Holy Spirit speak through me and speak to each one of us and and help us to learn tonight. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Amen. There are a few judges as we go through the book of Judges that we just don't have much information about. Uh, One of them you may remember from early on in the book of Judges. His name was Shamgar. You may remember it was just, just one little little blurb there, not, not very much at all, just kind of talking about uh, his, his time and what he did, and it was just really short little section. And here we're going to see some more tonight at the beginning of this section that's going to lead us into the next major judge, if we can call him that, Jephthah. And then after we get through with Jephthah, Jephthah there's going to be some more little judges that are going to kind of be briefly uh, talked about. And so two of the ones tonight that we're going to talk about is Tola and Jer. And we don't know much about them, but we'll read what's here in the text and we'll learn a little bit about them. Judges chapter 10, verse 1. After Abimelech, Tola, son of Pua, son of Dodo, became judge and began to deliver Israel. He was from Issachar and lived in Shemir in the hill country of Ephraim. Tola judged Israel 23 years and when he died, was buried in Shamir. After him came Jer the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. They had 30 towns in Gilead, which are called Jer's villages to this day. When Jer died, he was buried in Kaman. Now, We just don't have a lot of information about these two judges, so I really can't tell you much about them, other than the fact that Tola judged for 23 years and that uh, Jair judged for 22 years. We know the length of time they judged, but we don't really know anything that went on during those times. Uh, It could have been that maybe nothing went on. Maybe that's one reason why the author of Judges here doesn't tell us much about them, 
Maybe there was not much to be told about them. Maybe they weren't necessarily a good judge or a bad judge. Uh, as we see some of these judges that were good judges, they were good people. Uh, some of the people we see in the book, like Abimelech, was a bad person. Uh, Samson might be one that we look at and say, well, he, he, he was kind of a bad judge too. Uh, maybe the fact that nothing's mentioned about these two judges means that they weren't anything spectacular, nor were they anything really bad. They were just kind of average. They were just kind of normal. Uh, and the same could be said about people we hear about in our world today. Let's take preachers, for instance. There are lots of preachers in the world, most of which we never hear anything about. When do you hear about a preacher? Well, either when they've done something really bad, when you hear that a preacher's done this horrible thing or a priest has done something horrible, you hear about him, you may remember their name, or if they are just a spectacularly gifted man of God that has a real big impact, you may hear something really good about him. Billy Graham, for instance. But those are few and far between. You don't see many of those. You could probably count them on, on both hands, the amount of men that would fall into the category as Billy Graham. There aren't many. And we hear about those who do things that are really good for the Lord, and we hear about those who do things really bad. But for the most part, everybody else just kind of falls in the middle, and you don't really hear about anybody. Now, that may be what's going on here. I don't know. It may be that there wasn't much that was worth writing about for these guys, neither bad nor good. We do have this interesting note of, of, of Jair here that says he has 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 towns. Now, I don't really know what the significance of the 30-30-30 there is, and I haven't been able to find a good answer. Uh, I don't know that anybody really knows what that means. It's possible that the number 30 has some significance, uh, and maybe it meant something. Maybe it symbolized wealth. Maybe the fact that uh, his sons all had their own town and they all had donkeys to ride uh, may have been uh, kind of given us a little status symbol saying that Jer and his family uh, was wealthy, uh, although it's just hard to know, even reading among the scholars in the commentaries. Uh, there, are, there are not really any good suggestions that I have found, at least. There may be some out there. Uh, but I don't know if there's a good answer as to why it mentions his 30 sons and their 30 donkeys and their 30 towns. Apart from the fact that if he had 30 towns and they became known as Jair's villages, well, he must have had a pretty big family and they had some leadership uh, to have these towns and villages that were remembered for Jair. Uh, and so it sounds like these guys probably weren't bad judges, uh, but... Uh, whatever the case was, they judged for their time, and they died, and things continued on. So Tola judged for 23 years. He died, uh, and then we see Jer come onto the scene, and he judged for 22 years, and then he died. Uh, I may would assume, and I may be wrong in assuming this, but, but I would tend to think that maybe things were going good in Israel in that time. The text doesn't tell us, uh, but it may not be unreasonable to assume that things were going well in Israel during this time since it's not mentioned. But as we've seen throughout this whole cycle of Judges, what we're going to see in the next verses is that after Jair died, things went back to normal for the Israelites. And when I say back to normal, I mean back to bad. That is the normal for the book of Judges, is that things are bad. Verse 6, Judges 10, verse 6. Then the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They worshipped the Baals. Excuse me, I hit the, hit the button. Oh, we got a cell phone. We'll we'll take a break. I messed up. Cell phone wrong. Maybe the Lord's telling us we need to take a thirty-second timeout.
That's all right. It happens. All right, let's start again. Rewind. All right, verse 6. Then the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They worshipped the Baals and the Asterisks, the gods of Aram, Sidon, and Moab, and the gods of the Ammonites and the Philistines. They abandoned Yahweh and did not worship Him. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and He sold them to the Philistines and the Ammonites. They shattered and crushed the Israelites that year. And for 18 years they did the same to all the Israelites who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. The Ammonites also crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and the house of Ephraim. Israel was greatly oppressed. So the cycle continues. It lists all these other gods from all these other places. The Israelites were pretty much worshiping every god except for God, except for the one true God. They were worshiping everybody else. They were willing to do anything else that any other, any other religious group or any other god told them to do. Uh, they were willing to worship and follow them, except they weren't willing to worship and follow the Lord. And so the Lord's anger, it says, burned against them. And it said he, he sold them to the Philistines and to the Ammonites, which means he turned them over to them. God had been patient with them. They had had plenty of opportunity. We know that. We're already 10 chapters in. We've seen God deliver them time and time again, and they repent, and for a little while they do good, and then they go back in their ways. God has not been impatient with them, but he realized, look, I'm not going to force you to worship me, and also God was not going to keep blessing them. If they wanted to live this lifestyle, he wasn't going to put a hedge of protection around them and continue to bless them. If they wanted to worship these other gods, then he was going to allow them to do that. So he turned them over to their enemies for 18 years, it said. Now, we've seen this with other people who've come against them, that there are many years that go by uh, that they are oppressed by these other people in the land. And that's what we see here. This time, the enemy who's coming against them is the Ammonites and the Philistines. Now, Gilead that we just talked about, <coughs> excuse me, that we just talked about is right here. This is the area of Gilead. Uh, this would have been in the area where the tribe of Gad would have had their land. If you remember, half of Manasseh stayed. They were at the top. Gad stayed on this side of the Jordan, uh, and, and Reuben stayed on this side of the Jordan at the bottom. All the rest of the tribes uh, were all over here. But the area in question tonight that we're looking at is the area of Gilead. You also see the area of Ammon in the area of Philistia. Now, these are the enemies who were coming against the Israelites in Gilead, the Ammonites and the Philistines. And so you can see on both sides of them were these enemies. Now, we also see that it's talked about that, uh, that the Ammonites and the, Phil the Philistines also come against Judah. They come against Benjamin. Uh, so they're coming against this whole area. This is where Judah and Benjamin would have been right here. And Ephraim would have been right above it. It's mentioned in the text too. And so all of this action is happening right in the central part of Israel with enemies on both sides. And this went on for 18 years, these enemies on both sides going back and forth across the Jordan, uh, attacking the Israelites uh, in, in that central part of the region for 18 years. And the Israelites were in a mess. They were in a bad shape because they turned from the Lord and were disobedient. Verse 10, So they cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you. 
We have abandoned our God and worshipped the Baals. Now, that took a while, didn't it? 18 years. Now, when we're reading through it, we're reading from one verse to the next. A couple of verses four, it says 18 years, and then a couple of verses later, and they cried out to the Lord. But it took them a long time to get to the point where they said, okay, we sinned. We have, we have messed up. We have, done, we have done wrong, Lord. And sometimes we may do the same thing. Uh, there may be times in our life that there's sin that we're living in, and God says, okay, if this is what you want to do, I'm going to let you do it. And we shouldn't be surprised whenever those consequences come. And if we are surprised when the consequences come, then we need to say, okay, maybe these things are happening for a reason. Maybe it takes us six months, six years, 18 years to realize what we need to realize. Uh, maybe some of us in this room have gone through a period uh, where we have been disobedient to the Lord and refused to listen to him for that length of time. Maybe we know somebody. Maybe you know a family member or a friend. And for years, boy, they lived in sin. And then one day they came back to the Lord or came to the Lord initially. Maybe they had never come to the Lord before. We probably all know people like that. We probably all have people like that that we're hoping and praying we'll get to that point that have lived like that for five years, 10 years, 20 years. And we're hoping they'll get to the point where they say, okay, I'm in a mess, my life is in a mess, and it's because I've been living in sin and not been seeking the Lord. Now, it's good for us to hear these things because sometimes we may get in those, in those types of situations where we begin to sin. Now, hopefully, we don't do it for 18 years. That's why it's good for us to come, uh, to come to church and to gather together and to study God's Word and to read it on our own. That's why it's good for us because those things are the things that help us so that we don't go 18 years being oppressed by sin and getting ourselves in all kind of bad situations. Sadly, though, after all that Israel had been to, you would have thought that after a couple of months they had said, oh, we better call on the Lord. We done got ourselves in a mess again. But they didn't. And that's what sin has a way to do to us. It has a way to kind of to get us down to a point where we're kind of blinded, where we don't really realize what we need to do. And before we know it, we're 18 years in and we're thinking, boy, what has happened in my life? God, how did I get here? Hopefully, though, we get to where the Israelites got to. They call out to the Lord and said, Lord, we have sinned. We are calling out to you. Lord, we need you. Help us. So let's see the Lord's response in verse 11. The Lord said to the Israelites, when the Egyptians, Amorites, Ammonites, Philistines, Sidonians, Amalekites, and Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, did I not deliver you from their power? Now God is reminding them. Look at that list. These are all the people that God has already delivered them from. You would think after having to have been delivered that many times, they would finally have gotten the point. Well, we may would think that. I used to would think that, but, but I don't think that anymore because I have to look at my own life and I think, well, boy, there's a lot of things that I probably should have got the point about by now too. And I'm still trying to figure it out. There are still times that I think, I can't believe I did that again or thought that again. And so we, we may can relate to this cycle more than we want to admit. Uh, and that's exactly what God has reminded them of here. Look at all these things you've, you've been delivered from. And God says, I've delivered you from all of these things. It was by my power that you have uh, been delivered uh, from all of these enemies who come against you. Verse 13. But you have abandoned me and worshipped other gods. Therefore, I will not deliver you again. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. 
Let them deliver you in the time of your oppression. Wow. Now that's pretty intense right there. That is pretty intense. God says, look, I'm not going to rescue you this time. Look all the times that I've rescued you before, and you've continued to be disobedient to me. I'm not going to do it. You wanted to worship these other gods. You've, you've been worshiping every other god in the land for 18, or for all this time now, for 18 years now. Uh, you've been oppressed by these people. These are the gods you've been calling out to. If these are the gods you want, then call for them. Let them help you in your oppression. Now, God here was trying to teach him a lesson. Now, God is compassionate and he is merciful. But notice that God doesn't go instantly into compassion and into mercy. When the Israelites have sinned throughout this book, we have seen that years have gone by. God didn't just instantly come to them and say, well, I see you're in trouble. I'm just going to help you because, well, I love you and I don't want to see you suffer even though you've done wrong. I'm just going to take care of you anyway. God did not do that. He did not do that at all. Even though he loved them, even though he did eventually rescue them, they had to get to a point where they realized what they were doing was wrong. If God would have delivered them from their enemy the first time every time, they would have never realized. They would have never understood. They would have never really called out to seek the Lord with all their heart. They would have just felt, uh, they would have just felt privileged. They would have just felt like, oh, well, God's going to take care of us. Uh, I'm entitled. We don't have to do anything. We're God's people. God loves us. He's going to take care of us. And that would have been their attitude had God had just given them mercy and compassion instantly and never allowed them to go through these things. It's not God's desire, by the way, that we go through these things. God doesn't sit up in heaven and say, boy, I hope they fail so they can suffer for a little while. God doesn't want us to suffer, but sometimes he has to allow it to teach us a lesson so that we can learn how bad we are apart from him, so that we can learn just how bad sin is, so that we can learn just how bad the effects of sin are. And so in the case of Israel, God allows them to go through suffering, not just for a day or two or a week or two, but for years. And in this case, 18 years, he allows them to go through this. Now, they finally call out to him, and they say the words, and he says, I'm not going to do it. But listen to what happens in the next verse. Verse 15, But the Israelites said, We have sinned. Deal with us as you see fit. Only deliver us today. So they got rid of the foreign gods among them and worshiped the Lord, and he became weary of Israel's misery. Now God relented. That's not something that, that, that we don't see in other spots in Scripture. We see it uh, in Nineveh, for instance, is the best example where the people repented and God relented. And here they called out to him again. Now the first time they called out and he said, I'm not going to help you. But they were persistent. They were serious about it. It wasn't just a flippant prayer that they said, God, help us. And they went on about their way and they forgot the Lord. No, they came back to the Lord. And sometimes we may be kind of flippant in our prayers. Okay, God, I don't want to do this. Help me get out of this situation. Well, we may not be saying it from the heart. We may just want to get out of our situation, but we may not actually really want to follow the Lord and be obedient to Him and seek Him. We may just be throwing that out. Lord, help me. I don't want to be in this situation. But what God really wants from us is not the desire to escape situations. What God wants from us is the desire to come to Him and to seek Him. And that's what the Israelites did here in this second account. Not only did they say the words, not only were they honoring him with their lips, but they were showing it with their actions. They didn't just say, Lord, we've sinned, forgive us. 
Instead, they got rid of the sin that was in their life. They got rid of those other gods. You see, sometimes we want to we wanna have it where, okay, well, I want to keep sinning a little bit, but I want you to help me, God. I still want you to bless me and be compassionate and mercy, merciful to me, and I want you to help me, but I don't actually want to quit doing what I'm doing. And if the Israelites would have continued in that mindset, then I don't believe God would have delivered them here. But their life changed. They got rid of their gods. They got rid of the things that, that were sinful. They stopped living the way that they were living. And as a result, it said that God became weary of Israel's misery. Or in some of your translations, he grieved what was going on with them. Uh, and so he was saddened over that, uh, as would be normal for any parent over a child who was uh, living in a sinful way. Uh, it would grieve a parent, or it should grieve a parent if we love our children. And, uh, and God was, was grieved, he was weary over what was taking place with the Israelites. And even though they had done wrong, they were calling out to him, they were willing to change their life, they were getting rid of these gods, and so God is prepared now to take action on their behalf. Verse 17, The Ammonites were called together, and they camped in Gilead. So the Israelites assembled and camped at Mizpah. The rulers of Gilead said to one another, which man will lead the fight against the Ammonites? He will be the leader of all the inhabitants of Gideon. So, things are bad and they're looking for somebody who's going to come and fight for them. And that's what we will see next week when we talk about Jephthah. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you now and I thank you for these words. And I pray that uh, we would live by them and we'd grow in them. And I pray that you just would uh, help us to tuck these things away in our hearts so that we can remember them. Help us not to be like the Israelites, dear Lord. Help us not to be hard-headed and stubborn to quit sin in our life, but to be ready to let go of it, dear Lord, and to trust you. And not just, not just call out to you, dear Lord, but really seek you and be willing to, to lay down those things that may be keeping us from you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.